WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible and 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Aloha. And welcome to the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Today is Monday, November 20th, recording this 524 p.m. Hawaiian Standard Time. My name is Ethan Frank, joined by Jordan Leonard back in, I'm guessing, cold, maybe snowy Syracuse. No snow, but definitely, definitely cold. We've gotten to the time where now whenever I get in my car, I get that low tire pressure alert because it's that cold. <laughs> that means you need to go to the gas station and fill your tires, Jordan. Well, have you ever, have you never heard of the when it gets colder because the tires aren't used to it that they give the low tire alert while they adjust to it? Okay. Uh, so I think I it's have, that. I, I have heard it. I think but maybe you need air, need air in your tires. Uh, what time is it back in Syracuse? It is currently 10:24 p.m. So if I need air in my tires, I might have to go tomorrow morning. <laughs> and that's probably when you all be while you're, while you're sleeping in Hawaii actually yes um uh the sun is, is currently setting here on the island of Oahu and as always we thank you for listening to the Ostrom Avenue podcast and we thank Empire Hearing and Audiology the presenting sponsor as always of the Ostrom Avenue po- podcast we thank them for their continued support of the show you know you know slow news day you know over the past couple of days here in Syracuse <laughs> certainly nothing major has happened um no, let's let's start with basketball, Jordan, and uh, we'll get into football a little bit later. Uh, Syracuse loses by 17 today, 73-56 to number seven, Tennessee, in the first game of the 40th anniversary of the Maui Invitational. Uh, it, we talked about it on the double overtime after the show or after the game on the show that, you know, this wasn't a 17-point game. Syracuse did not deserve to lose by this margin. Um, and there were a lot of things to like, but there are also some things to, to, to improve upon. What, uh, what were some of your main takeaways? Yeah. I mean, like we said on the double overtime, this was actually a really positive game for Syracuse uh, over the first couple of games. You're questioning how good they can be based on their performances. They only won by slightly above double digits to New Hampshire and to Canisius. And then, you know, obviously they were losing most of the game to Colgate and I said it on the podcast before Maui. It was, it's going to be interesting to see if Syracuse can play up to their competition because they've played kind of down to them in, in the first three games. Can they play up to the competition? They did that pretty much throughout the entire game. I think what impressed me most is the defense that that a team like Tennessee, they're ranked in the top 10, not only because they have a really good defense, but they can score the ball as well. Syracuse's defense really looked good for for the most part outside those last three minutes when Tennessee went on a 12-0 run, and they did it because they were changing it up. They played some zone, they played man, and it worked. Both worked for the most part throughout the game, and that's going to be key for Syracuse. This team can score. 
Um, obviously, Tennessee, they held them to 56 points, but Tennessee is one of the better defensive teams in the entire country. This team can score. It's whether they can play enough defense to win games throughout the entire season. And I think they showed that they have the ability to against the top talent today. I mean, Tennessee is the number one defense on Ken Palm right now. So like that, that just like, it's not like hyperbole when we're saying, oh, this is one of the best defense in the country. No, this is literally the best defense in the country, according to Ken Palm's defensive efficiency rankings. Um, I mean, it was kind of the opposite today, though. It was Syracuse's offense that struggled to create and and get open shots and knock down those open shots. Chris Bell and Judah Mintz were the only players in double figures, 16 for Bell, 15 for Mintz. It was nine for Starling, eight for Williams, and then no one else above four. It was a slog. Justin Taylor went 0 for 4. Naheem McLeod didn't attempt a field goal in this game. Uh, Malik Brown had two dunks, and that was pretty much it. Kyle Cuff went 1 for 5, and that one make was a a 3 in the first half. Quadir Copeland didn't get anything to go down. It was a struggle to score in this game. And then especially when you add in the fact that Judah Mintz was in foul trouble throughout the first half, only played 7 or 8 minutes in the first half, sat for a good chunk of the first half of this game. It put such an emphasis on J.J. Sterling to play, make, and create shots for his teammates, which he did. He ended up with 5 assists in this game. But he also ended up with four turnovers. He only went one for two at the free throw line. And him and Judah Mintz combined to shoot eight for 27 from the field. And that's just not going to get it done. Yeah. And the fact that Syracuse was really in the game for that long, given the fact that both of them only made four field goals throughout the entire game and Judah Mintz only played 26 minutes. I mean, that that's in my eyes, very positive for Syracuse in terms of the shooting numbers. Justin Taylor is interesting because he only took four shots. He missed all four. But, I mean, the seven rebounds, that's great. Like, Justin Taylor needs to rebound the rest of the season. He might be the best rebounder on this team. Like, complete nonstop. Uh, I was sitting, I I said uh, on the show, I was sitting next to Donna DeToto the whole game. And we, after every rebound, we were, like, it's incredible. Like, his rebounding for his size and his position is so good. And especially on the weak side, how he's able to, you know, be there always boxing out. Um, and snatch those weak side rebounds is impressive for his size. Yeah, he he definitely attacked the glass today for sure. And that's what Syracuse needs because you know you're not going to get it from Chris Bell, one rebound. You would hope you're going to get it from Nahima Cloud, but only three rebounds in 21 minutes against the team where, I mean, if you go against like, say, well, they're not going to go against Zachy D because Purdue won. But if you go against a big man like an Armando Baycott, you would assume Nahima Cloud wouldn't fare too well on the board. So in games where he has a size advantage, you want him to. I think just overall in terms of the offense and Chris Bell has kind of figured this out a little bit and Justin Taylor and Benny Williams and and those guys are going to need to figure it out a little bit more is drive to the hoop first. When you drive to the hoop and you show a willingness and an ability to get downhill and get to the basket, that's how you create more space for yourself at the three point line. Justin Taylor is a good three point shooter, but because that is on the scouting report. Teams are going to guard him outside first. If he can get to the hoop like he did the other day, I think it was against Colgate, dunk one. Get Show your ability and, and your threat to get to the hoop. That's going to let, make the defense sag a little bit. That's when you can kind of mix in those three-point shots and try to get going offensively, especially for Justin Taylor specifically, but the offense overall. And you mentioned that. Chris Bell, uh, he, he played really well today. He got to the hoop. He, I mean – just got to stop with the mid range. I'm just done with the, <laughs> with the pump fake and then one step and 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 shoot. It's either pump fake and drive to the hoop or pump fake and sidestep and shoot a three. I, I can't take these 16 to 18 footers anymore. I understand if you're a Judah Mintz and you're creating it off the dribble, but if you're that wide open and there's no one in front of you, just take the ball to the basket. 
Well, I think there's a difference also, too, with Judah Mintz has proven he can hit that mid-range jumper, and Chris Bell just hasn't. I mean, so, he went 7 for 13 today. That's over 50 Yeah, he went, se- he went 7 for 13, but it, 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 Judah Mintz is more of that guy that's going to take those mid-range jumper. Again, like Chris Bell only having one free throw, I'd rather him have more. Like, go, like you are... You are a big dude. What is he? Six nine, six eight, something like that. He's got to be six seven or six eight. Yeah, yeah. Go to the hoop. Get fouled. Go to the and free we throw line. See- You're one of the good free throw shooters. And we've seen he can finish. He can make a floater. Yeah. He can make a layup. Uh, he he did that today. That's why you know five of his seven field goals were two point field goals. Uh, we we've seen him do it. Uh, we talked a lot about on the show earlier uh, the double overtime about Syracuse's defense in this game whether it was uh you know playing zone or playing man and how they were able to you know interchange between the two and were effective in both especially when Dalton Connect Tennessee's leading scorer was not on the court what what were some of your main takeaways from the defense I think main, my main takeaway is that at at some point in every game the rest of the season is they should mix up the defense to some extent. They should throw in a couple possessions of zone, a couple possessions of man, mix it up, because that's what keeps offenses off guard. If they're inbounding the ball and taking a pass half court and they have to think about what defense you're going to run first, you have won the mental battle. If you can confuse them and have to prepare plays for a man, plays for zone, if the coach in the huddle doesn't know what what defense you're going to run coming out of that break, you have won. And that's another way where Syracuse hasn't been one of the best defensive teams in the country the last couple of years. They played zone primarily, which is part of that. But if you can win the mental battle in terms of confusing teams on what defense you're going to play that just makes your defense even more better in terms of not even just the talent, but winning that mental battle. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's interesting how they were, how they substituted today. Naheem McLeod plays 21 minutes. Malik Brown plays 18. Peter Carey gets a, got one minute off the bench uh, at the center position. What in terms of the defenses you saw today, which do you think is most effective moving forward or, or is it matchup specific? I think it's matchup specific and, and game specific. If if teams are hitting shots for left and right, it's hard to go to a zone for a consistent period of time. I think there's as much as Syracuse fans don't want to see the two three zone. I, this team is actually fits the team very well in terms of like the length. Like you look at last year, one of the reasons the two three zone was just hard to play is because you have. I, I don't want to, you know. Not no, knock on Joe it, Girard, say it, say it, but jo- say it. having Joe Girard at the top of the zone is not really threatening for any hands. Seasons. Four any, seasons. Joe Girard's just not that long, and that's what you need. You look at a guy like Kadari Richmond who transferred out of Syracuse. He's one of the perfect guards for the top of the zone. Michael Carter-Williams, the length. Syracuse has a decently long team. Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling are long athletic guards that can play the top, and you have a lot of athleticism. I don't think you should play it for a full 40 minutes because I think teams can figure that out. But if you can mix that that in along with your man-to-man, I think the it's zone a change is, up. is it's a, a lot effective. Up. It's a change-up at this point for Syracuse yes. is what it is. You think about it, you know, zone has started to infiltrate the NBA a little bit. You think about the team that plays the most zone in the NBA is probably the Miami Heat. And mm-hmm. you can make the argument that Eric Spolcher is, if not, you know, the best he's one of the three best coaches in the nba i don't think anybody's arg- i mean i don't think anybody's arguing with you on, on that at this point based on his yeah. track record um over over the last decade plus um and it's a change up for them and it's and it it gets teams confused 
And especially if you're going up against a team that isn't shooting the ball well, then it's a huge, huge asset, especially with the length. The thing I'm concerned about is still the rebounding, especially yeah. if you go to a zone, because you know, here, here are Syracuse's forward or wing players not named Justin Taylor and their rebounding totals today. Chris Bell with one, Naheem McLeod with three, Benny Williams with four, Malik Brown with two, and Quadir Copeland with two. That's not going to do it. Like, that's just yeah. not going to do it. You get out-rebounded by 15 in this game today. I had written down at one point, sir, uh, Tennessee had eight offensive rebounds in the first 12 minutes of this game. Um, they finished that's the 13, just not gonna too. Cut. Yeah, that's just not going to cut it. You need your forwards and your bigs to rebound. Yeah, that's the only – that 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 is the drawback of the zone. When you have Nahima Cloud in the game and and say you're playing that zone, he's got to he's got to rebound better than he did today. For Nahima Cloud, it's just interesting. Like you're in the game for 21 minutes, you start the game, no field goal attempts. Either. Yeah, how just... do you? Well, he did get to the line a couple times. Um, okay, and then he went one for four. Right. I mean... he, no, he has to put a shot up. He just has well, to. that that's the problem. I think in terms of the zone, it, it's also depending on who's on the floor. Um, for both teams too. I, I mean, you mentioned it. Rebounding is going to be a problem. I think no matter what, like if they're running zone or man, because nobody has really proven that they are the rebound guy. Like not even Quadir Copeland, who's like an energetic defensive guy, has proven that he's going to get rebounds consistently. So I think rebounds are going to be a problem no matter what. Um, and that's really not. It's not great because you know obviously offense, in my opinion, is the more more is more of a strength than the defense at the moment. So limiting the defensive possessions you have to play is key, and that's one of the reasons you lost this game. I mean, fourteen second chance points. That's not horrible. That's not great. And then you lose the game by seventeen. So you can kind of factor that into the equation, especially against a top ten team in Tennessee. You just can't let second opportunities kill you. I mean, this was a six to ten point game, not a seventeen, fifteen to eighteen point game, which is where yeah. where it ended up. I mean, I will say I'll counteract you. Justin Taylor has been consistent rebounding. He's averaging six yep. and a half rebounds per game, six against New Hampshire, seven against Canisius, six against Colgate, and then seven against Tennessee. So he's really been the only consistent rebounder on this team. And, and you know, for McLeod, you're going up against a guy like Jonas Adu, who is a, an absolute monster. You know, we talk about Malik Brown having long arms. Woof, those guys' <laughs> arms are long. And, you know, watching the game, you know, from the very intimate vantage point that that myself and our other W8ER colleagues got to today, the intensity of this game was unlike anything we've seen from Syracuse this year. And really over the past couple of years, this was a different level of play considering Syracuse hasn't been in the NCAA tournament. The ACC hasn't been one of the better conferences in college basketball. When you look at it compared to a conference like the Big Ten or 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 like the Big 12, it hasn't been on that level. This was a different level of play today, and, and that's going to be a huge benefactor for Syracuse in the long run. Yeah, this is this whole tournament they're playing, Gonzaga tomorrow, is going to be really it's it's going to help this team develop faster. We talked to, to Mike Waters. He's not going to panic until New Year's because of how young this team is. And it's really the first season for Coach Autry and they're facing such a tough schedule. But this is just going to continue to grow this team even faster, playing these better opponents. And you talk about the the bigs for, for Tennessee. EACC might not be as good as it has been in years past, but it has got some good bigs. Armando Baycott, Filipowski, Norchad O'Meara from Miami. So this was a great test for Syracuse on how they can fare against those kind of players 
especially early in the season when you play three mid-major teams to begin and you're not really going to face that size, that tenacity on the board. So now you kind of get a better look at how Syracuse, maybe some adjustments Syracuse needs to make against these bigger bigs that are tenacious on the boards. Yeah, it'll be an adjustment for Autry moving forward. And he said after the game that, you know, the coaching staff has been preaching this and it's about, you know, can they, you know, is is finally realizing it and having it happen to you a better experience than having the coaches just consistently be like, you have to rebound, you have to rebound, you have to rebound. Now maybe having the experience, oh, we were bad on the rebounds today. That maybe that will be the message and that will be the realization point for Syracuse moving forward. Uh, continuing to move forward, you, you face a Gonzaga team that got, you know, run out of the gym almost by Purdue in the second half today. Uh, the Zags were up by five at halftime and and end up losing uh, by double digits, I want to say, to the Boilermakers, um, a Purdue team that's ranked number two in the nation for good reason, Gonzaga number 11. So just a little bit of step down in, in competition for Syracuse. If you look at it on Ken Palm, Tennessee's number seven, Gonzaga's number nine. So, you know, <laughs> not too much of a, of a letdown, uh, no rest for the weary for, for Syracuse. What are you looking for tomorrow, specifically offensively? Who who are you expecting? Because we talked a lot about it, you know, on on the double overtime. I keep referencing it because we had such good conversation, and you have to tune in moving forward throughout the rest of the week after each and every Syracuse men's basketball game. Chris Bell is the second scoring option, it seems like, on this team right now because J.J. Starling is not consistently putting the ball in the basket. Who are you looking for to put the ball in the basket tomorrow? I think it's Judah Mintz more on a consistent basis. He only had 15 points partially because of the minutes, but I'm looking for Judah Mintz to really take over in, in this game because Gonzaga's got some great guards too. Ryan Nemhard is a beast uh, as a guard. He's going to face some interesting challenges tomorrow. So I think Judah Mintz is the guy that I'm looking forward to scoring. And and I'll, I'll give you a second one just because, you know, Judah Mintz is kind of an obvious answer. But I'll go Benny Williams. I, I said it on the double overtime. Benny Williams had eight points. He's played 16 minutes, but he had eight points in probably like a four-minute span, two of them three-pointers. Feed If Benny Williams gets going, feed Benny Williams. We saw it in the ACC tournament last year. He can score 20. When he gets going, he, he can score 20. You just got to keep feeding him. You got to keep preaching him to be aggressive. He took four shots in four minutes and then didn't take a shot the rest of the game when he was in the ballgame. So he needs to be more aggressive, especially if Justin Taylor doesn't have it as much. He needs to be even more aggressive than he would be on a typical basis. I'll tell you what, something besides that. Make your damn free throws. Eight <laughs> well, for 17. Eight for 17. That's not good enough. Like, I don't care what level of basketball you're playing. That is just straight up not good enough. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can find an, an early line here on this game. I doubt it. Um, but uh, probably not till tomorrow. I would expect Gonzaga to be a pretty, like, I don't know, eight to 10 point favorite. I, I don't think that'd be Give or all, take. That, all that crazy. Um, let's Tennessee see. was what, 14 and a half ish today? Yeah. Um, so. see if I can find something. Um, I don't see anything yet. In terms of the Gonzaga matchup, I mean, watching yeah, the game. No, today, I, don't, I don't. I don't see a line yet. Watching the game today, I mean, obviously Zach Eady is a way like I'm not saying he's even in the hemisphere of Naheem McLeod, but they struggled on the boards containing Zach Eady, 14 rebounds, five offensive boards. So, I mean, if, if there's a game where Naheem McLeod can kind of try to carbon copy what Zach Eady did on the boards, this is going to be it tomorrow. I don't know what the exact height is heights are 
for Gonzaga, but I think they're more of a guard-driven team. So if Naheem McLeod can get into a rhythm, this could be a game where Naheem could actually, I think, put up some numbers. Yeah, uh, you know, I think coming into the tournament, people were looking at it like where Syracuse's draw the bracket was like, oh, you know, this is probably in all likelihood, you know, you got no shot against Tennessee or or Purdue or Gonzaga. I think coming out of today, there's one Syracuse definitely has a puncher's chance against Gonzaga tomorrow. Absolutely. Again, this is this tournament was going to show you kind of what Syracuse could be in terms of playing up to the competition. They they played with ten. Like again, the score is not indicative of what the game was like. Syracuse had leads in the second half, at, towards the beginning of it. So, Syracuse can play with if they can play with Tennessee, they can pretty much play with any team in this in this tournament. Any more thoughts on basketball before we move on? I think just very encouraging sign. First time you get tested and you respond very well in a nine thirty a.m. tip when you adjust to Hawaii time. You were you responded very well after a long flight, nine thirty tip in a, in a neutral court. Very very encouraging to see Syracuse men's basketball play like that today. And I said that I said that earlier as well, and I I couldn't agree with you more on on that point. Uh, you know, you talk about you know you got media flying over for this tournament. It's so exciting. I'm sure John Wildtack would love nothing more to to be in Hawaii enjoying a vacation with his family for Thanksgiving, and instead he is you know at 11 a.m. Eastern time standing at the podium. Uh, giving a 25-minute press conference about how Dino Babers is no longer the head coach of Syracuse football. So I'll give you my perspective uh, on the whole ordeal that happened this weekend, Jordan, and then I'll give you the floor because you're in Syracuse. You were there today. You, you have a lot more details than I do. So, you know, we are, are you know, contingent. flies is flying on Saturday from New York to, to Hawaii, and we don't land until after the game has already started. So we basically, we saw none of this game, basically. We land... Uh, and by the time we get to the hotel, it's pretty much halftime. And we decide, you know what, it, like we go to the, you know, check out the beach, you know, whatnot. You know, we're in Hawaii. I would too. <laughs> yeah, we're in Hawaii. We're going to check out the beach. And Syracuse ends up, and I think it was what, seven, 14, they, three at halftime. They were, they were down 20, I think 20 to three at halftime. They were down, they were down, they were down big at halftime. Regardless, yeah. they were done big at halftime. Yeah. We're like, oh, okay. Uh, not surprising. Uh, if you listen to this podcast last week, you would know that I said Georgia Tech was <laughs> going to blow them out. They didn't end up blowing them out. They put up a fight in the second half. Uh, and we go to bed and we wake up on Sunday morning. I mean, my phone had 40 or 50 texts, uh, <laughs> a bunch of other messages. And Dino Babers had been fired. Um, uh, we've been talking about it pretty much the whole second half of the season is when this would come talked about it with a lot of different people, uh, all of our interviews on the show and Dina Babers had been fired. And uh, you know, it was, you know, the, the wheels were in motion for a new head coach. Uh, so that was our perspective, uh, a decision from John Wildtech that I would say warranted um, and needed to be done. And he talked a lot about that today. He was, I mean, I listened and watched the whole thing um, a little while ago. He was br- blunt he was honest <laughs> he was candid uh really the first time we've heard that from anyone within the athletic department regarding the football program in a long time and it was it was refreshing to hear that yeah you don't really get too much com- transparency in, from Dino Baber so it was he was wild heck was very blunt in in general like he gave every answer as probably truthful as he could give it without you know giving away anything else from my perspective, I found out the news before the Syracuse women's basketball game on Sunday. We were we were driving over to the arena, and I was 
it was weird because you know I've, I'm of the elk of I think it is a good move where Dino was it kind of got to the end of his rope and Syracuse football kind of needs to that new energy that new voice but it kind of shocked me after the Georgia Tech game because watch having watched that entire game they were down uh, found it 17 to 3 at halftime and after the fumble on the kickoff was down 24 to 3 a minute into the third quarter they fought back like they showed a lot of fight given the fact that one, they were only able to run the ball, essentially. They couldn't, still couldn't pass the ball with any healthy quarterbacks. They showed a lot of fight and were in the game until the very end when Georgia Tech scored a touchdown with like two minutes left. So I was kind of shocked after that because they showed so much fight. They were playing clearly for bowl game and, and Coach Babers. Um, but, I mean, revealed this morning, I mean, John Wildhack at the beginning of the season told Dino that 7-5 and five is the benchmark, essentially, to keep your job. He met with them again after Florida State in the bye week, seven and five, still the benchmark. So you he knew after this game, no matter what the result is, as long as it was a loss, Dino was m- pretty much 100% going to be out as Syracuse football head coach. So in terms of anything that you kind of like saw in the game, at the end of the day, it didn't really matter because that record benchmark was set at the beginning of the season, which and I'll ask you your opinion on this in a second. I thought I think it's great that they sent a, a benchmark of a winning season. I think that shows expectations in the Syracuse football program, which hasn't always been there. I mean, you know, did get that 10-win season, and they finally got back to a bowl game last year. But there really hasn't been an expectation of we need to win year in, year out. And I think by setting that benchmark, it, it sets it that Syracuse football is not just a football program with a bas- at a basketball school. It is a football program that wants to – rise and and wants to win consistently in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, one of my big things that I feel like I talk about a lot is process, not results. And when you set a benchmark like that, that is saying you have to get results. And I, I'll make an exception to my, my rule here because this is year eight. Okay, yeah. we know what the process is uh, for Dino Babers. We know how he runs his program. We know how he handles the media. We know how he recruits. It's pretty clear how that works at this point. And was it a usual coaching eight year coaching? I mean, this is the fourth longest head tenured head coach in the history of Syracuse football behind Ben Schwartzwalder, uh, Dick McPherson and Paul Pasqualani. That's pretty crazy. If you think yeah. about that, that Dino Babers ended up being you know number four on that list, uh, obviously not the most successful um, uh, of any head coach. Uh, definitely not of those four, but you know, the it, it it was time for a results benchmark to be set in place by John Wildtech because if this team regressed, they didn't lose that much talent that they should have regressed. Uh, you lose and you know, and you lose a Matthew Bergeron and you lose a Garrett Williams to the NFL, you lose Deuce Chestnut and Jihad Carter and Jatias Gear and Steve Linton to the portal. But you expected to lose guys. You had to have known that was going to happen. You knew Bergeron and Williams were leaving for the NFL. And those are kind of the two bigger losses. Because I don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure that losing those other guys to the portal would have made that much of a difference well, on this year's roster. So Bergeron my is the definitely guys, the biggest loss. My theory on the guys that are lost to the portal, it's one thing to lose guys to the NFL. That shows you're doing your job, the fact that they can go to the NFL and get drafted. The guys to the portal, that's your job. It is your job to keep them there at this point in, in where college football is at. I mean, you got to remember, they hired Dino Babers when the transfer portal and NIL wasn't a thing. 
So it is your job as a football coach to recruit and keep your guys on your team. And I thought it was very interesting. John Wildhack mentioned players by name of like leaving the program, but not playing at their schools. It was totally fact. I just thought it was interesting that he mentioned them by name and the fact that Dino Babers couldn't convince those guys to stay. And the fact that they would have been easy starters, they would have started in that same spot for as long as they would have been at Syracuse. That just shows kind of, can Syracuse really succeed if they can't even keep their own players, let alone also, you know, the whole recruiting high school's talent has been a, a whole issue as well in, in terms of Dino Babers recruiting throughout his tenure. Oh, yeah. It, it's been a major problem. Uh, Syracuse's recruiting classes have been poor. They've been at the bottom third of the ECC, and that's why this team isn't competing. I, I mean, you could say a lot of things take away, it was, whether it's be the benchmark, whether it be, you know, donors, whether it be P- John Wildtech saying, you know, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people are apparently reaching out to him about this head coaching yeah. job. I think um, he oversold that a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. I the, me, it was in his opening statement talking about performance in the month of November, because this is something we have talked about for so long that this team constantly fades in the month of November. And the last three years are a prime example of that, but that is not the first time it has happened. You think, you know, nobody talks about it. Uh, and I think I heard it on our, our friend Brent Axe's podcast yesterday that after Syracuse beat Clemson in 2017, it was four and four and nobody cares what happened after that hmm. because they beat Clemson. You know what they finished the season at four and eight. Okay. Like it was a yeah. like, you know, two's a coincidence, three's a trend, right? It was like four or five times that this happened. Like this was not yes. a, a one-off incident. So uh, I thought him coming out immediately, not even being asked a question about it, saying performance in the month of November was a key reason why this decision was made was a brutally honest assessment that I respect John Wildhack for saying. Yeah, and, and honestly, this year, you can say November, you can say October. For the, I mean, they didn't win a game in October. So you could say October this year. I mean, you go back to 2021, they had three chances in the month of November to make a bowl game, and they lost all three, not only by a little, they got blown out in all three opportunities. And the month of November, he said it, it's good that we're playing critical and crucial games in the month, but if you cannot win games in the month of November, you're not going to make bowl games, you're not going to have winning seasons. And that means you're also not winning in conference play. I mean, since Dino Babers has gotten there, Syracuse had the second worst record in ACC play to Duke and Duke with Mike Elko is clearly on the up and up. So yes, the month of November was definitely a a spell for, for Dino Babers, but also just the consistency overall. I mean, you go back to what his first two years, he had four wins that that's that third year was that 10 win season. 20 was it 2019 was another five was a five five? seven yep five and seven 2020 COVID 2019 is a really interesting year I'm gonna pull up the schedule because it feels like if and it's like Tommy DeVito comes in he's the official starting quarterback Tommy DeVito in 2018 had to replace Eric Dungey multiple times because of obviously his reckless style of play but he saved them a win against North Carolina in 2018 Tommy DeVito was the savior he's like oh Dino recruited this guy he's from New Jersey he's a good recruit he's a pocket passing quarterback um and then you come out five uh, in this 2019 season and uh, you get obliterated by Maryland. You lose by 43 yeah. in College Park to open the year after beating Liberty. 
uh, then you lose huge to Clemson. And that was a Clemson team that just won the national title. That was a wagon. That's right. That's fine. You lose. You beat by, Western Michigan. Right. right. You beat Holy Cross. Whatever. whatever. Non-conference is whatever. You lose by six to NC State. You lose by seven to Pitt. Then you lose by 18 to Florida State. You lose by 31 to BC. And then you barely squeak past, or and then you beat a really bad Duke team. And then you lose by 22 to Louisville. Like, they lost two home games in there, uh, getting obliterated by Boston College. And that was a team that A.J. Dillon was on. That was a good, like, it was a good Boston College team. Yeah. Boston College has a lot of offensive linemen in the NFL. Like, that was not a bad BC team. But you had four, a four-game losing streak right there in the ACC. And you lose five out of six overall. And, like, it's just a performance in conference play. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to win games, conference play is where you're going to need to do it um, because those are the teams you play every year. And you look at it this year, and you talk about microcosms. It's the fact that Syracuse, I mean, other than the Pitt win, which they had de- they have destroyed Syracuse in recent history, and, you know, they don't really have a good quarterback this year or a good team. So you can take that one away. But, like, Boston College beat you. Like, you're not – Virginia Tech destroyed you. Like, it's one thing to lose to Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State – and lose badly, but it's another thing to lose to teams that you're supposed to be even with or competing with in the ACC and to lose badly in those. And there's been too many of those out, out, out of the eight years. And I, I think the the overall, going back to your process over results, that was that is that is basically what happened. It's one thing to have the process, but when you're eight years in and nobody's saying that Dino Babers didn't build a great culture and didn't build a great locker room. I mean, nobody doesn't like Dino Babers as the person Everyone, or the culture yeah, that yeah, he... That's a great point. Everyone loves Dino Babers. You will not hear a single other person in college football say a bad word about Dino Babers. It feels like every week, if you listen to the opposing head coach's press conference, the first word out of their mouth is, I have so much respect. I love... That's my good friend, Dino Babers. Yeah, it, it, you just, at some point... You need results. And to this point, Dino's gotten results at crucial times. Three years in, he has a 10, 10 win season, so he gets the extension. I mean, you could take the five and the five, five win season 2019, five win 2021. COVID's COVID, so you kind of flush that out the window. And then you get to, to 2022, you get, a, you get a bowl game and you kind of get another extension, but then you kind of go back downhill. So at some point, it's like you needed consistent success. And that's why the benchmark of seven and five was set. And the process was done and the process was appreciated, but the results never matched where the process was at. No, it, it didn't. And Syracuse's next coach will have that task. And John Wildtack laid out today what he's looking for in a, in a new head coach. And that is probably head coaching or coordinator experience at a high level of college football and someone with a background in the Northeast, because it's clear how important that is in today's day and age in college football. I want to go over the candidates put out by uh, Bruce Feldman, senior college football writer for The Athletic, someone I love reading and, and really respect his reporting. Here's his list of candidates. Toledo head coach Jason Candle. Toledo, you know, the the Rockets having a great year in the MAC. Um, it, we'll see, you know, what happens there. He's from Ohio, which is not terribly far from Syracuse, but not really in that, you know, portion of the sounds country. Like, that sounds like another like rehire of Dino Babers yeah. though, taking a head coach from the MAC. Yeah. Uh how about James Madison coach Kurt Signetti from Pittsburgh? Originally I, I, from don't, Pittsburgh. I don't I don't mind that. I don't mind that. You said James Madison? Yes, James Madison. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't mind that. I mean, James Madison was a wagon in D2 and then has been just awesome D1 since they've gotten to the Sun Belt. Uh Notre Dame defensive coordinator Al Golden. 
knows the Northeast uh, well. Yeah. Played at uh, coached at Temple. Um, didn't do great at Miami, but could get a second or a third chance, second chance as a head coach in the ACC. Um, wouldn't be terrible. He's doing very well at Notre Dame. Uh, oh, the big one strikes me. Saints offensive line coach Doug Marone. Uh, God, Doug that was crazy. Back, that was Doug Marone crazy. Come back and save Syracuse football. Probably not. He's fifty nine at this point. Maybe a little too old. How about Colorado? Well, Dino was Dino was sixty two. Well, when he was fired, he was, when he was hired eight years ago, he was in his mid fifties. Okay, that's hiring bad. a coach that's that old is is interesting. Um, Colorado Background. assistant coach Sean Lewis, uh, former offensive coordinator. So- uh, that's but that's the key right there is that Sean Lewis is no longer the offensive coordinator right. at Colorado. So, do you want to take someone that kind of just got demoted at its own school? Probably not. Probably eh, not. But probably he does not. have Syracuse ties. Here's the one that's been getting a lot of traction today: is Bob Chesney, Holy Cross's head coach, Northeast roots. His I think FCS, you know, whatever the FCS Heisman quarterback. Um, Enter the portal today. You can knock out two birds with one stone. Northeast head coaching experience. Um, someone that could be a, a really deep look for Syracuse. Wisconsin, Wisconsin offensive coordinator Phil Longo. Interesting. New Jersey native. He is in his mid-50s, though. Um, could be could be an interesting, interesting look. How about Patriots offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien? That get you excited? Oh, geez. Not really, to be honest. No. Not, not, no. not really. Um, um, Florida State going back to that Holy Cross. Sure. So going back yeah. to the Holy Cross for a second. I, I do like Bob Chesney. He, I, he's a, a solid coach for Holy Cross and, and they're a consistent contender, especially in D2. I do worry though, part of the reason you bring in a coach can't be just for a player. Nothing against right. Matthew Sluka, who's an all American D2 and a great dual threat quarterback. Let me just tell you in his career, 6,000 passing yards and 3,500 rushing yards. Like, he's a great quarterback, but you can't bring in a coach just because, you know, you're trying to get Correct. a quarterback. Well, you do need a quarterback player. next season. You do need a quarterback yes, for do. next season. you do. You do need a quarterback next season. Uh, moving on, uh, only a few more names here. Florida State defensive coordinator Adam Fuller, who's from uh, played at Sacred Heart in Connecticut and uh, spent a lot of time at Wagner on Staten Island. Uh, Florida State's defense, as Syracuse saw, very good. Um could be an interesting hire within the ACC. This is another interesting one is Kentucky offensive coordinator Liam Cohn. Um, he was a uh, coach for the Rams under Sean McVay. He's from New England, uh, played quarterback at UMass. Um, a, and Kentucky is is not bad on offense. Uh, they're, they're consistently one of I the mean, top good teams SEC in the SEC. Offense. Yeah, they're a good SEC offense. The one that was, you know, getting a lot of news today was, is, uh, excuse me, is Nebraska defensive coordinator Tony White because of Matt Rule's comments uh jordan you want to take us through what matt rule said yeah he said go get it essentially and well he didn't refer to exactly what job but he basically said go get it and if there's a job out there that is a promotion and good for you to to go grab that uh i think tony white would be a great fit i mean he's already been with the program he was great defense coordinator at syracuse he's done a good job at nebraska i and also Nothing against Dino. I'm not saying he didn't connect with players. There is a difference, though, from having a 62-year-old head coach and a younger head coach that can really connect with players of this age. And I think Tony White does a great job with that. You can keep – and here's in terms of also going back to Wild Hacks press conference, he talked about, and and I agree with, it's not a rebuild. 
this is a team that has a solid foundation and is looking to build on it and become a con- not not contender, but a consistent winner in the near future. So Tony White bringing a three three five defense. The defense has been solid all year. I think some continuity in that would also be beneficial if you know it's not a full rebuild as well. Right. What Wildcat did, or what Matt Rule did also say is don't go somewhere where they won't buy into you and go somewhere where they have the resources and have the funding um, to be successful and they care about football, which, you know, maybe he was taking a shot at Syracuse. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's why he was able to poach him and make him go from a lateral move from Syracuse to Nebraska. Two more. And I'm going to read these verbatim well, from uh, what Feldman yeah. wrote. Uh, these are interesting. Philadelphia Eagles offensive line coach Jeff Stoutland. I think it's pretty common knowledge. The Eagles are a good, you know, offensive, you know, football team. They're one of the best offensive he's, lines he's, too. Feldman wrote he's beloved in the Syracuse football community, beloved by his players in Philly. Maybe the best line coach in football. Sixty-one-year-old native from Staten Island, uh, started his coaching career at Syracuse and knows what made the program thrive. Uh, it's it's questionable whether he would want to go back to college football. He hasn't been in it since working under Nick Saban at Alabama since 2012. Uh, and then you know, if you want to hire him. Eagles could be playing until February. He's not going to leave in the middle of the season. Uh, and John yeah. Wildtack, it seems, is going to want to expedite this process. Another example yes. of that Bengals defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, who could be an NFL head coach. Uh, he he is a former Syracuse coach as well. And we'll see you know, what he does. He coached back in the 90s along with Stoutland. So those are your candidates. Uh, I think Bob Chesney's and Tony White are the ones getting the most hype on social media right now and the one that fans are talking about the most. But uh, but we will see. Jordan, I know you've had the pleasure of getting to talk to Dino Babers once a week this year. So let's close it out with uh, with your favorite me- memory of getting to talk to uh, to Dino once a week this Ooh, season. Oh, that's a good one. Um, favorite memory of talking to Dino. Oh, <laughs> I got to think about this for a second. Uh, There is so, I mean, again, nobody doesn't like Dino. He is a truly a great guy, even behind the scenes. Like in terms of recording the coach's report, it's a five minute segment. We would talk for like 10 minutes before and after this segment about just life football. He would always ask about my classes and how my essays were going. Ethan and I are in the same class and we, we have three big essays. He would always ask me if I've started the essay. Um, I think the best story was actually, so one of my roommates lives in Chicago and Jimmy Garoppolo grew up in Chicago as well. So I told him the story about how my roommate saw Jimmy Garoppolo at a, at a random top golf. And I said, and, and Jimmy Garoppolo was such a great guy. He just took like, took a picture, talked to him for a while. And Dino hits back with, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's like, yeah, Jimmy, such a great guy. I, I don't know how he's not married yet. And I just started cracking up because it just shows you, like, he's such a like a great guy that Dino is that he can joke about and talk about really anything that that is 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 brought up. That's an awesome Dino story. Uh, you know. Oh, also, okay. I wore my I wore I wore the Hawaiian shirt that you wore today in Hawaii. The Second time I interviewed him, and he he gave me the traditional Hawaiian welcome when I walked in with the shirt and said that it was a very nice Hawaiian shirt. So that is kind of it is kind of poetic. I am potting from the site from Dino Babers' home, uh, home <laughs> state of Hawaii after he has been let go as the head coach of Syracuse football. I wonder if John Wildtech said mahalo to him on on his way <laughs> oh, out of the me- on his way out of the meeting <laughs> when uh, when a decision was reached. Uh, all right, uh, we've spent enough time. 
on on this edition of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. You can hear Jordan and myself will continue to do episodes as we move now fully into basketball season. Only one more football game and maybe a bowl game to go. We'll see what happens against Wake Forest. We'll have another episode later this week, which, as I said, a very, very exciting update to come on that episode late in the week. Thanks for tuning in. You can remember to find us on YouTube at Ostrom Avenue Podcast, uh, our, our Twitter page at Ostrom Avenue Pod, where you can find all of our thoughts and analysis on everything going on with Syracuse athletics and then check out w8er's continued coverage of the maui invitational w8er.org 88.3 fm is where you can find everything 2 p.m coverage starts tomorrow goes all the way up until 6 p.m all right that will do it for this edition of the pod mahalo thank you for listening we appreciate your continued support and thanks so much to empire hearing and audiology for their passion for the show and, and and letting us do what we do so we'll come back later in the week and continue our analysis of football and basketball whatever happens and have a very happy thanksgiving everyone and thanks for listening to the show we'll talk to you later this week